The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Dr. Lori Butts. I'm a psychologist and an attorney. We are continuing our look back at some of our wonderful previous guests, and today we're revisiting stories about receiving a diagnosis. Let's start with a diagnosis from the year 1949, as received by Dr. Temple Grandin. When I was diagnosed, nobody hardly knew what autism was. I was taken to a neurologist who said I had brain damage because they didn't know what else to call it. Found out I did not have epilepsy. I was not deaf, but fortunately referred me to a really good speech therapy school that two teachers just taught in their home. So I got excellent um, early intervention, which I, I can't emphasize how important that was. And I had no speech until age four. When I was three years old, I was completely nonverbal and looked pretty severe, but there was no evidence of seizures. Now let's hear from another person diagnosed as a child, Amy Gravino. Uh, fairly inauspicious beginnings, I suppose. I was diagnosed at the age of 11 back in 1994, which was interesting because that was the same year that Asperger syndrome was first added to the DSM. Uh, so to be diagnosed at that point, especially as a, as a woman, was really extraordinary that someone was able to spot that. In fact, my psychologist, uh, I always mix up psychiatrists and psychologists, but I believe psychiatrists, but he was English and perhaps they had a little more knowledge over in England than we had here in the States at that time. So he was the one who diagnosed me. Uh, we'd bounced around, my parents and I had bounced around from specialist to specialist before then. At first, my parents thought that my hearing was not good, that I, that, 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 that was why I wasn't listening to them. So they had my hearing tested. And, and then finally, we, we ended up in the child psychology department at Stony Brook University on Long Island. And that was where I was diagnosed. Next, author Michaela Ackerman shares how her diagnosis came at a time when the understanding of autism was changing. I was diagnosed um, when I was fairly young, um, back in the early 90s, when autism was kind of more of a dirty word, so to speak. No one really talked about it. Um, and upon diagnosis, the procedure was really to just send those kids to group homes. Um, and my mom was actually called cruel by medical um, professionals for not doing so. It, would con it was considered, you know, not very nice to put me in regular school or to let me try these things. It was considered setting me up for failure. Um, so I was kind of on the first wave of a new way to quote unquote treat autism, so to speak. Um, you know, so we did the OT, the PT, um, the speech therapy, equine therapy, all kinds of different things to really determine um, what my strengths were. And um, through that, I became more and more verbal um, and it turned out that, ironically, my verbal communication became one of my greatest strengths in this life. Um, and so I continue to do that. I continue to just really figure out what my strengths are, follow those strengths, and accommodate my weaknesses. Now let's hear from some self-advocates diagnosed as young adults, starting with Sarah Luderman. Like a lot of uh, autistic people assigned female at birth, um, I didn't get diagnosed when I was younger. Um, 
I didn't get diagnosed until after I'd finished grad school. Uh, and then I it was entering the job market and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get a job. Um, I had, my resume was fine. And then I'd get to the interview stage and then it would just never go anywhere. Um, and so about a year into that, um, my mom read this book called Look Me in the Eye by John Elder Robeson. Um, and she was like, holy heck, that's, that's Sarah. Um, so she suggested that I get evaluated. Um, I'm really grateful that I had my parents' support um, in, to do it. And it really changed my life. Um, I guess for a long time, I thought I was like, somehow just like this uniquely broken thing that had crawled out from under a rock and finding out that other people like me exist and that I wasn't like bad or wrong was really powerful for me. Um, I still sort of struggle with employment, but at least I, I kind of understand why and what's going on. And it, it makes, uh, definitely makes my life a lot easier and happier. Next. Fidget Club founder, Shira Mechanic. I'm 27 years old, and I was diagnosed with autism in my early 20s. Um, my journey to identifying as an autistic and to getting a diagnosis was pretty long and a little bit bumpy. Um, from the age of 16, I'd been through various treatments and to treatment facilities and worked with many different professionals who all tried to squeeze me into various diagnostic categories that really didn't fit. Um, my diagnoses tend to have a lot of not other specified qualifiers, and professionals really didn't know what to make of me. Mm -hmm. Eventually, um, mostly through a process of reduction, I was diagnosed with autism. And at first, I disregarded this diagnosis the same way that I did with my previous diagnoses, because I was diagnosed with so many different completely conflicting things mm -hmm. that I really stopped giving a lot of weight to the whole concept of a diagnosis. But eventually, I learned more about autism and sought out professionals who specialized in autism. And I really came to accept the diagnosis of autism and started to identify as autistic. And I realized that my autism explains a lot about me and my difficulty navigating the world, as well as many of my strengths and struggles. Up next, Lauren Melissa Elsie shares her struggle with resentment with being diagnosed as an adult. Even though my mom kind of figured out that I'm autistic by the time I was three years old, I never was formally diagnosed with autism until I was 23. So that's about eight years ago now. And it was a big answer for me in my life. I'd always felt different. I think we hear that narrative a lot from many late, later diagnosed autistic individuals. But I always felt very different. I felt oftentimes broken. And I was really scared about my social encounters with people. And I thought it was something I had to change about myself. And then I discovered, I discovered my autism. And when I received my diagnosis, I felt empowered in so many ways. And I was able to shed those feelings of inadequacy and lean into my new, well, not entirely new since it had been 
who I am my whole life, but my new identity that I had become aware of. At the same time, I felt really resentful or bitter that my diagnosis had come later because I thought I would have really benefited from being connected to the autistic community at a younger age and recognizing more about myself as an autistic person. And that resentment, those feelings, they were bubbling up in me pretty strongly. I had been told by my psychologist that one of the reasons why I had not, one of the many reasons I had not received a diagnosis until later was because I had developed coping skills on my own that masked my autism when I was a child. However, those coping skills, they crumbled um, very quickly when I reached adulthood and I could no longer mask. And eventually through the years, it led to my diagnosis. And that frustrated me a lot, but I decided to, in a way, sublimate that frustration and think through, well, some of my coping skills, they are okay. They are autistic centered and they do help me. And I wonder if I could share some of those coping skills with other autistic people. And if I could also connect with autistic people and they could share with me how to be authentically myself. So I reached out to the autistic community via Instagram and started posting different things that I did in my day to cope with being autistic in a world that is not very supportive. And through that, I became connected to the community and I am where I am today. One common theme we hear from our guests is that of being diagnosed as an adult after a loved one is. Let's hear about one such experience from Marenike Giwa Onaiwu. Um, I grew up undiagnosed. I wasn't aware that I was autistic for the majority of my life. And um, so um, as a parent, um, one of my children, and then later another, um, was referred and then diagnosed. And basically there were, I guess, quote unquote signs that people saw um, in particular, the Mother's Day Out program that my daughter attended, and um, they noticed some differences. And I noticed the differences too, but I was like, oh, that's just how I was, you know, when I was little, everybody, you know, no big deal. And um, so going through the process of screening them for various things to rule out what the diagnosis might be, because, you know, obviously there are a number of conditions that have similar you know, um, that, that appears similar in terms of the the characteristics that you have. So while we were going through uh, all of these various different evaluations and whatnot to um, determine, you know, what was going on. And so that's how when, you know, essentially I was researching more and more and I was like, wow, this sounds a lot like me. And, you know, it was just, you know, but I just, you know, didn't really think anything of it. And so initially um, I was, involved in advocacy as an autism parent, just trying to learn a little bit more. I wasn't very active. I was just trying to inform and educate myself. And, um, and, and you know, eventually my children's provider said, hey, Marenike, have you, you know, ever been assessed? And I was like, no. Yeah, I'm sitting there like rocking and, you know, twirling my hair and my fingers and, you know, all of that and simming. And she's like, but you say your kids were, are just like the way you were as a kid. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and your kids are autistic. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and, and so it kind of dawned on me. I was like, oh, wow, that's true, huh? You know what I mean? So I kind of started looking into some things and um, self-diagnosed before I um, 
obtain my official diagnosis, but the more I found, I found so many things that disturbed me. There were so many things out there that were so inaccurate and so negative about, you know, your child's life is over, it's destroyed, they're locked inside of themselves, and you have to hit hard and hit early, or you're going to, you know, early intervention, or they'll never have a real life, and your marriage is going to be destroyed, and all of this, you know, all of this negativity, and I was like, oh my goodness, it just, it just really you know, irked me that, you know, basically all this fear mongering was going on and I was just trying to find a way to kind of, um, I guess, balance that or counteract that. And that's kind of how I sort of kind of fell into advocacy really out of a desire to kind of correct the BS I was hearing. Now let's hear from Sarah Salvaggi Hernandez, the first openly autistic person elected to serve in a government position in the United States. My son was educationally identified as being autistic. Um, and I was actually in school for occupational therapy at the time. Um, so I was like, I <laughs> said to his teacher, I'm like, if he was, well, you know, at that time, I it wasn't even using identity for affirming language. So I'm like, if he was on the autism spectrum, I would know I'm in OT school. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, what I continued to learn was that there's a lot of misunderstanding about um, what the spectrum is and um, also the difference between being diagnosed and um, embracing culture. And that's really been for the past decade um, where I've been opening up my understanding. Um, And one of the things that's been really neat is that as I open up my understanding of my interactions over the past decade, I look back into my childhood, my my 20s, um, my teen years, and say, oh my gosh, you were so autistic. And um, because I think I have the background that I do, I understand how important it is to take that word, take that identity, and um, create my own definition for it because my internalized scripts, unfortunately, are, you know, filled with bias. Um, I am, I will openly admit my internalized ableism, Um, but I consider it almost a challenge, and not a challenge, a pleasure to challenge those things. Um, I, I'm pretty sassy. I think that we all have that in common. Um, I love, I love it though. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where, you know, so 10 years ago, um, my son, um, was, uh, educationally identified. And then I, um, started to really research because I was, I was actually upset with myself, um, for, I, I like noticed my ableism already. Like what, like I went straight to the, you know, deficit model, diagnostic criteria criteria and then I said whoa this is my son right and um I know my son and so that was really the beginning for me next author Jen Malia shares how her diagnosis started with her daughters so I I was diagnosed in my late 30s and the way that I discovered that I was on the autism spectrum was actually um, when I saw the signs of autism in my daughter. So my two-year-old daughter at the time was having a lot of um, just, she had a language delay and we had been taking her to a specialist trying to figure out what was going on. And I started to do um, hundreds of hours of research. And, you know, that was also kind of a 
a, a, like kind of a sign of my own autism that I eventually discovered that kind of obsessive, um, you know, desire to kind of figure out what was going on. Um, but I eventually, you know, narrowed it down to, um, I thought that she was definitely on the autism spectrum based on all the research I had done. And, you know, I, I kept going to specialists and they were, you know, they thought that she had a language delay, that, but they weren't convinced because of her eye contact and um, just some other sort of stereotypical features of autism they didn't see in her that, that she was on the spectrum. So I spent a lot of time, um, you know, seeing different, it went from like a pediatrician to a developmental pediatrician to eventually a clinical psychologist to not only diagnosed her, but diagnosed me on the same day. Now let's hear from author Finn Grattan as they parallel their autism diagnosis with recognizing themselves as non-binary. I think, you know, like many people, uh, because my, my characteristics or traits were accepted as just kind of quirky Finn, um, it took having family members that I loved and that I was trying to figure out how to understand and support better to start getting the information that said, that told me that I fit as autistic, that that, that made sense. Um, and that wasn't easy. That's, you know, the common imposter syndrome of I no, people didn't diagnose me. I am 50 years old or 40 years old. There was a lot of time that I would say that I have sensory processing issues. I, I think very differently. Um, and that was also similar to my trans identity because um, I've always identified as somebody who was, um, and I never really fit in as female or as male. And those were the options then. So it took quite a while before uh, a non-binary identity was something that could be reflected back to me, that I could say that and people go, right, we know what that means. Uh, so my involvement in the autism community or my involvement in autistic issues came through both my, my work as a, as a family member, my, my desire to be a better, better person in my loved, people, loved ones' lives, um, and my um, work as a, as a therapist, uh, which I came to later in my life. I went back to school in 45. So that's, that was my, that's the simple version of my journey. Next, Neuroclastic founder Tara Vance shares how she learned about her diagnosis years after receiving it. So I had a funny story. I was writing a book, um, a novel, and my husband is autistic. Uh, I knew that as soon as we started dating. Like I figured that out on date one, but I was thrilled with that because I always felt like I was way more honest than most people. And I really love knowing um, what someone is thinking not worrying that they're going to be passive aggressive because I never could handle those things. But I just had this totally wrong idea about what it means to be autistic. And I didn't see myself in, in like the DSM criteria so much. Um, so I just didn't know that I was as well. And I wrote this novel and I had some sensitivity readers. And one of them was a local friend who's autistic. And when she read it, I asked her, could she tell which character was autistic? 
And she said, what do you mean? They all are. And I was like, what? No. Yes, they're all very, very autistic. And um, she sent me to some things that showed more like the the non-gendered, um, actually autistic uh, blogs and things, uh, what it looks like in women and what autistic people have to say about themselves. And I was like, wow, I, whoa. <laughs> so I took some online quizzes and I was just way up there, like <laughs> triple the, the, you're probably autistic numbers on those online indicators. And I had a psych appointment, uh, for ADHD, um, like two weeks from that day or a week and a half. And I went in with this giant binder full of information and I was prepared to fight and be like, look, I'm totally autistic. And when I said it to my psych, he said, oh, I know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you do? He was like, yeah, it's in your chart. So apparently um, I was diagnosed at the same time uh, as I was diagnosed for ADHD in 2006, but nobody told me. They only told me about the ADHD. So, yeah, I have been diagnosed for um, 11 years before anybody told me. That's. Did you have a conversation with them about about that? That's that's interesting. As I've been a different doctor. The okay. first doctor was had retired. I actually love that one, but that doctor was su super like anti putting people in a box. Oh, and he, okay. he would always say, you know, diagnoses are more like tools to get you what you need than than static things that you definitely always fit into, especially things like mood and personality disorders. He was like, you, you'll get diagnoses for things if you need the medicine or the therapy. So I kind I understand. I couldn't, I couldn't even be angry at him or have a confrontation with him about why it was a bad idea because he had retired. So uh a bad idea not to tell me. Because I had right. a lot of trauma in those 11 years that I feel had I understood who I was, I could have avoided, um, but, but that was my story, so. Let's finish with Australian self-advocate, Barb Cook, as she recounts receiving multiple incorrect diagnoses before doctors landed on autism. Back in 2008, I was originally uh, misdiagnosed in 2008 with bipolar disorder and social phobia. And when that diagnosis happened, it didn't sit with me because at that time I'd been researching about autism and especially Asperger's syndrome because of my partner at that time. He was also getting diagnosed and he was diagnosed straight away. Being male, very, it stands out very obviously, but being female, it didn't. So we quite often we're misdiagnosed. And it was from that, it sort of like progressed. And I then looked into going, once I got the diagnosis, that was a godsend. But um, just the information that was out there, especially for women, there was just such a lack of it. And from that, it also progressed even more into going, okay, how can I help my fellow women on the spectrum at that time? 
And um, yeah, so it's just been a bit of a progression from there. Thank you for joining us for this look back and we're excited to return with new episodes soon. Be sure to check out differentbrains.org and check out their Twitter and Instagram at diffbrains and look for them on Facebook. Haley can be found at haleymoss.net and on social media. I can be found at cfiexperts.com. Let's keep the conversation going. Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.